Welcome to the OptiForum podcast, where we really specialize by bringing in high-level coaches and fitness influencers to really optimize you know, fitness performance through nutrition, training, supplementation, and so forth. Uh, today, we have Mr. Adam Bonilla. How's it going, Adam? Doing great. Thanks for having me on, Austin. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm super excited to go on and uh, dive on into this podcast because you have a lot of great information. You've accomplished so much with, uh, with your team. And um, yeah, first off, uh, people listening, Adam's, like I said, a high-level coach, um, very, very high-level bikini athletes. Um, you have uh, Olympians, right? Correct? Yeah, yeah, this year we had a couple on stage that we prepped. Um, yeah, so hopefully next year we can – the goal is to have – I want to have every one of our girls be on the Olympia stage next year. I only take on a very few select girls for that reason because it takes so much time to actually – prepare someone for that elite level, you know? So uh, we also have a couple of guys that I'm hoping to get on there too. I think actually we can get two of them on there this year. So we'll see. Dang, dang. So, so that kind of gives his credentials right off the bat right there, guys. So, <laughs> but yeah, so first off for the listeners, uh, I just want to like, you know, who the hell are you, Adam? Like, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, so I guess short version, because <laughs> it's a really crazy story, like how this whole thing started for me. A lot of like, a lot of hardship, a lot of like just real weird ways how this all started, but um, that's just too long of a story. Uh, but but uh, essentially, um, I started working at a supplement store when I was 16. Um, I, you know, my, my actually, it's crazy is I love fitness so much. Um, I, I worked for my dad's store when I was 11, and I was supposed to take over their store. It's a multi million dollar store, my income would be super high. Um, but I didn't like it. It was a grocery store, you know, so I left the store at 16 when I was able to get hired at GNC and Nutrisport. I worked at Nutrisport for $6 an hour versus working for my dad for 10. And back then that was like a lot, you know, $10 was like crazy when you're 16 and, you know, uh, so, um, plus that was like 20 years ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was a lot of money back then. And so I started working at uh, Nutrisport. Um, and then, I started doing like programs for people um, right at, at that age because I just was super interested in learning it. Um, I think I've been good. I've, I've really become good at this stuff because I'm so bad at bodybuilding. I really think that's <laughs> which is really funny. You gotta find every way to get help you out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really like started like trying to get like figure out every trick I could figure out to get an advantage because genetically I was just always a super small guy. Mm. Uh, like I wrestled at like one. I wrestled at one nineteen in high school which is like a little dude, you know? And so um, I was always like trying to figure out what's the only edge I can get is going to be science because I can't get, I'm um, genetically, I'm not the guy that's going to just put on muscle like crazy. I already knew that. So in all my studies, uh, and I started training at, at 13 years old and all my studies was, uh, it kind of helped me help other people that were genetically more blessed than me. Mm -hmm. And um, that just kind of started it. So at 16, I was creating programs and whatnot. Um, back then there was no internet. So we would, you know, guys would come in and ask for information that they couldn't find unless you're reading like medical journals and things like that. Mm -hmm. So even things like the bodybuilders in Southern California, which is where I grew up, the huge bodybuilding community, they would come to me for advanced supplement programs. Some people would be doing drug programs or whatever. And I was like the guy that had all the information. So I grew pretty quickly at a very young age out there. And then um, at 18, I started training at the gym and I've been basically training ever since uh, with a couple like few month breaks in there, whatnot since. And uh, so, yeah, I've been around the training game, I think 20 years now. So more than half my life. So yeah, that's, that's basically where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. And I know um, 
you are known in your community, like in your space for like the science, the high tech, technological kind of advancement stuff. Like, tell us a little bit about your facility. I kind of want to know a little more. Like, you got crazy tools and like, you know, all this testing and stuff to really, like, people don't understand at this level, like, to really optimize it and like to get the edge because the genetics are going to be so even all the way up, you know, that that little tiny bit goes so far. Yeah, yeah. So I basically got all this equipment. Um, so what we have is we have a 5,700 square foot, what we call the contest prep center. So Team Elite Physique headquarters contest prep center. <laughs> That's so and, sick. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. So upstairs is a couple pieces. There's like five pieces of cardio equipment. Uh, there's a posing room. And then we have our offices, which are nutrition offices. And we have a doctor's office as well there that he does like hormone testing there. Um, downstairs is a full training facility. We got like 30 something pieces of equipment. And then we also have a testing room and that testing room has like, you know, metabolic testing, 3d digital scanning, body fat testing. Um, obviously we do hormone testing there too. And, um, we also have EMG muscle sensor training testing. So or like basically it's EMG muscle sensor training. I don't think testing is really the right way to say that. Mm -hmm. So we have pretty much every tool, um, that I think is useful for us getting to that advanced, figuring out as much information as possible for, on an athlete. Um, and if not, you know, find something, I'll buy it, you know, cause I really don't, <laughs> it's never been about money. Like really over the last like eight years, um, I've pretty much saved every penny that the team has made and put it back into that facility. So we actually own the facility out. We own the building. We own the equipment. We have no loans. Like we spent all the money the team has made back into it. The team, I thought that was, cause I'm, I'm trying to be the best trainer that honestly it's a stupid goal but it's it's my goal i want to be the best trainer that's ever existed in the history of the world in contest prep center right which is like this it's like crazy it's like saying i want to take over the universe and like being actually methodical and like actually daily practice of trying to do that which is like never gonna happen you want to be in the high school textbooks and and uh, and the college textbooks uh, once bodybuilding evolves like that it's like a main deal yeah, right <laughs> like the god of it <laughs> i want to try but we'll see what happens i'm gonna do everything in my power to do that um, so yeah, so, you know, I've done a lot of sacrifice to get that, to make that to happen. I, I sold my house. I live in a crappy one bedroom apartment. <laughs> you don't understand. Dude. I had like this really nice house. Like I had everything. I sold everything for this studio and stuff just for a dream. Like it, the studio is not profitable. Like you don't make money having a studio. Like it's not, I'll never recover that money. It was really just about making the team better. It cost $750,000. It was like literally every penny I've ever made. <laughs> like, oh, it's about money with these teams or whatever. And I'm like, dude, why don't you go look at my bank accounts? Because <laughs> every penny goes back. That's pure dedication, dude. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, that's dude, it's cool. cool. That's, I, think, I think it's cool. I mean, all my business friends think it's retarded, but, <laughs> but I think it's pretty cool. And I'll keep doing it. If I find something else that's going to make athletes better, then I'm going to keep doing it. Because what people don't understand is that the only way to compete in this like contest prep world you have, so you have like at the very high level, the elite level, you have the very best genetically blessed people, but you also have the smartest minds and the most technology behind those people. And, um, you have to get smarter. You have to buy more equipment to get better at testing. You have to work with athletes more closely because the difference between first and fourth is not even visible. It's, 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 it's so hard. And that, that little bit of whatever is different between first and fourth is happening inside inside the gym, inside nutrition, inside minimizing inflammation and things like that. And you better be damn good when you're doing this, if you're trying to take people on. That's what I hate. I, I literally, I hate contest prep coaches that do like one or two shows or 19 years old. And they're like, Oh, I'm contest prep now on Instagram. And I'm like, what, what gives you the right to take people's health into your hands 
and give people two hours of cardio and diet up down to 900 calories and just crush them. And then they come and they, they hate contest prep for the rest of their life. I just hate, I just hate that stuff. It should be a long intro to get to that stage. It should be a very long time or a very studied person mm -hmm. um, to get there. So, um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I don't really hear a lot about the, this part of prep, right? Like from, from different influencers and stuff like that, they never really post a lot about the, the testing and stuff that they go through, whether they do or don't, I don't know. But in well, your standpoint, you're really like maximizing and optimizing their genetics that they do already have. And then like, like you said, between first and fourth place is like barely anything. And it's just like that day was their day because of those little tiny things you put along the way to optimize it. And so that's a good, good, we have some questions here. And um, with all your facility, you know, you said you have metabolic testing, hormonal testing, obviously nutrition stuff. You have a training room, posing room. I mean, literally everything from A to Z to make them the most successful as possible. Um, how do you go through the process? So like some questions were like, how often do you get hormonal testing done? How, how often maybe do you get, you know, metabolic testing and thought, I mean, all these different things. What is kind of the process to really optimize their performance? So here's the thing. There's a couple different routes of doing it. Um, now one, all the testing. So here's the, here's the issue with me. I'm, I'm, I definitely am considered like I'll be considered in the world, in the contest world or the fitness world, like an advanced trainer. So when people get to me, it's usually for a reason, you know, I will get some, some beginners, which are awesome because beginners are, are the best. You don't need to test really anything. You know, um, they haven't been through excessive dieting. They haven't been through tons of shows or whatever. And sometimes I'll get them too. And I have to deal with them. Um, but I get sometimes more problematic cases. So like people who've done 10 shows who've like dieted down and done hours of cardio before and their previous coach had them doing two hours of cardio and messed them all up. So their adapted cardio state is super, super high. So trying to get, create any stimulus through cardio is almost impossible. Um, you know, they're working out for two a days, doing two hours of lifting a day and you're trying to create a stimulus through exercise and you can't like things like that. And that's when we got to do like all this stuff. Um, I train a majority of my people are like online and a lot of them I don't even see, um, which is because I have, you know, years and years of experience doing this. I can usually diagnose a problem and how to a way to solve it just based on their history and them telling me their history. Some people I'll have to fly them in and then do all that stuff for it. I usually will do that for like high level people, people who are going to national trying to get a pro card or people who are really struggling or um, top level athletes that I just want to make sure we're hitting every single thing on the head. So my pros, I'll bring them in. Um, and sometimes I'll even pay to fly them in. And I, I just want to know all that information. So as far as hormone testing goes, unless there's a problem, then we're not going to do it. So like, for example, probably like my most publicized case would be like Ashley Kotwalser with the problems that we were having. And so, uh, that was a great like video document series on like documentary series she did on it. And so she really like, documented the process really well. Um, we went three months with like doing everything we could diet wise to like get her where she needed to be. And she was like barely, barely moving. And I was like, something's wrong. Like, I just don't understand what's going on. It should be working better than this because I've known her for four years and it's always gone easier than this. It was always easy for her to lean out. And so we brought her in for testing. We found out that, um, you know, she was anemic and that her thyroid was really low. And that's why her hair wasn't growing the way it was before. And you got to remember, like she was a fitness model for like six years or something. So she was always watching her calories. So because she was excessively dieting for so many continuous years and she did like 18 shows, um, I think it's, I don't even remember how many shows she's, I think she's won 17 pro shows now. So I don't even know how many shows she's done. <laughs> Jesus. It's like crazy. 
Yeah, I know. She's the most winning bikini competitor in the history of the sport. So it's definitely an honor for her to train her. And, um, you know, she's also like my best friend now too, because we've gotten so close because she's had to come in so many times. And actually we just see each other all the time. I was there. I just flew in yesterday. I was there last weekend. Um, and like, I stayed at her house. She stays at my house. Like, it's like, she's like my bro, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You still <laughs> in Hollywood, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. I was in Hollywood last weekend, week before that I was in Miami. Uh, and I trained Nika out in Miami. Um, so yeah, it's, it's life is crazy. That's for sure. I mean, I never thought it would be like this. That's for sure. I was in Korea a couple of weeks back going to Japan and Two weeks. Oh, that's good. You get to see a lot of cool places, then. Yeah, I get to see a lot. Of, I get to see a lot of the insides of hotels of cool places. So that's, <laughs> everyone's like, "Dude, your life's so cool. You're over here. You're over there. You're over there." I'm like, "Dude, every place looks the same when you're inside a hotel 90% of the time." So it's like, it's cool. It's a privilege, you know. Like, I never thought I'd be doing this, but uh, it, it's it's a uh, actually I like it, but at the same time, it's a little tiresome, you know. So you're traveling so much. So I think I got I gotta go to. I know I gotta go to Japan in the next two weeks, on the fourteenth. What's today? So yeah, two fifteen days, something like that. And then I gotta go to Canada sometime before then to do some magazine thing. So I don't even know like when I'm going to that. It's just, it's just how life is, you know. That's cool, man. You're a popular guy. You're a popular guy. I like it. I'll ride the wave. I'll ride the wave as long as the wave is is there. Well, dude, you gotta become the the god of bodybuilding. You gotta have everybody know who you are. You know what I'm saying? I guess so, man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh. But yeah, so, so you you know, um, she had low thyroid, you know, she was anemic and stuff like that. You went through, through some hormonal testing. I watched that video actually. And um, people don't realize like when they're dieting, I see this also maybe in general population too, with like obviously severely obese people or, or just some, your hormonal panel or, or, you know, levels are off and stuff like that. And then it's stuff maybe you try, but it doesn't work because maybe what I like to say is you can't out train a bad diet and you can't out diet bad hormones. You know what I mean? Totally correct. Yeah. So, so, um, so yeah, so kind of take us through like, you know, what you did with her, maybe some other people of like, you know, starting, what you start with? How did you do the testing? What stuff did you test? Like that's really important too. Cause some people only get like, you know, white blood cell, red blood cell, and all the different hematocrit and all that kind of stuff, but they don't go into like the actual, you know, tests, estrogen or estradiol, you know, thyroid, prolactin, all that kind of stuff. So what did you kind of go through that process? Yeah. So we go through, um, so first off, you know, we don't do it with everyone and we can do it. Like I train a lot of people online. So at times we'll just do it with their doctor and then they'll, um, they'll do their, their testing or they'll just call in and call my doctor. I work with Dr. Ramos. who's a good friend of mine. He's actually one of, um, he's like definitely a good friend of mine. He's definitely like a mentor of mine in terms of like hormones. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm one of the only trainers he'll work with is he's, he's really particular who he works with, with that stuff. Um, because he wants him to be educated. He'd want to put his name behind anyone. He's like, Ramos is like, what's cool about Ramos, he's kind of like, he reminds me a lot of like myself, but like a more, an older version of it. He, um, he owns this huge law company with like 40 something lawyers under him. So he's like, he's like super loaded, right? Because he, he doesn't need to do hormone stuff. But he's a, he's a doctor and he's a lawyer, right? So like super accomplished, right? Like, the only guy I know who's done both. I'm like, that's just, how much time do you have to be a doctor? Yeah, you're sweet, man. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And he's got a crazy amount of lawyers. He's in all the commercials out here. He's like super, super well known. I mean, his, his, uh, it was funny. His, you know, he's just, he just doesn't need to do this. Like he's making, he can retire if he wanted. Yeah. But, um, he does this, he has this hormone clinic out here called FitMD, who we use. And he's really cool. He takes time, talks to me about hormones and whatnot all the time. Um, but anyway, he, so he's, he's my guy. Um, and he could do it, and uh, Jessica, his PA, does a lot of the hormone testing, but we could do it through the phone, too, and, like, just have you do those, get those tests done, 
and you can work with them like kind of online. So um, it makes it it makes it easy. Um, but what we test generally when you come in is going to be your SHBG, so your uh, six hormone binding globulin, your estradiol, your um, testosterone, T3, T4, your IGF-1, which is one that almost no one ever tests. Um, and those are like the main things. Everything else, you know, liver enzymes, you know. Your you do FSH at all or? Yep. yep. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's a very thorough panel, you know, cholesterol, all that, all the other stuff too. But the main things we're concerned with is going to be, you know, your testosterone, free testosterone, um, estradiol, your, um, your T3, T4, things like that. So the, the stuff we can actually control in terms of your physique. Um, but we also test, I mean, they, they test everything, you know, so it's, it's, it's a very, very thorough thing. Um, and what a lot of people don't understand is like guys that are like pumping all this juice, like they don't understand like their, their SHBG and like how much testosterone they can actually absorb and whatnot. Mm -hmm. What they don't understand is you're only going to absorb so much testosterone, so many anabolics that they take. And all these guys are just pumping more and more and more. And what they don't understand is you're going to use a certain amount. And once you figure out like what that certain amount is, your maximum that you're going to take in, anything past that is not going to build more muscle, but you're still going to have the bad side effects. You're still going to have enlarged prostate, increased, um, you know, blood pressure, cholesterol, kidney values, liver values, all that stuff. So um, th th I would, I would love that bodybuilders who are taking things to like actually get tested so they can know, Hey, this is my max. And I'll just, the rest of it is just time, not pushing more gear into my system, um, you know, and having, uh, hemoglobin that's like oil, you know, through their, through their system. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I guess, how would you, um, what would you tell them how often should they get it done? And then maybe if maybe their doctor knows or doesn't know, or how would you describe them knowing their, their tall or their cap on that? Sexual? Well, that's a definitely like a very specialized, a very specialized thing. Um, so I honestly, what I would say is I would say find a good hormone doctor, um, find a good hormone doctor, get it tested. Like, well, I usually say get a test when you're not on cycle so you can see actually how your body's performing. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're making sure that you're off for about 14 days of anything and then go get your hormones tested um, to see how much you're actually producing and then see what the true values are. And then you could get it tested while you're on cycle, like after you've been like pinning for like four to six weeks. So you can test your, you know, test your liver, kidney, see how much testosterone is actually in your product that you're taking because a lot of these guys are taking these underground products now. Yeah. It's not even that much in it. Um, you know, as funny as I've had, I've seen um, guys go into hormone doctors, um, and I don't do I don't train a lot of guys that are on a bunch of gear. But I had, I've had guys go in on hormone doctors that were running like, like from the, the gym here, they're running like a thousand milligrams a week of tests of some type or whatever. These like giant. I, I live in like a big bodybuilder gym is where my office is. Um, I don't train giant big bodybuilders really, but um, because of that, um, what we found was they were taking like a thousand milligrams or whatever, and then they go to the doctor. And then their testosterone wasn't even that high because like, they're taking these UG products that were, that were bunk, you know? And then, <laughs> that would suck so bad. They're pumping all this oil in their body to get this 1,000 milligrams, and all they're doing is, like, thickening their blood for the most part. <laughs> and uh, they would give them 200 milligrams of, like, a real testosterone siphonate, and then they would be, have higher T levels with that. And I was like, dude, what were you taking? And they are like, I thought I was taking good stuff. And I was like, so, um, you know, it's, so that's another good reason to test it too. But, um, you know, it's just health, like, I think especially the younger bodybuilders need to consider their health when doing this stuff. And um, it's just not, it's just not a common practice and it really needs to be. Another thing too that bodybuilders need to understand and bikini competitors need to understand too, is that when you're taking anything past testosterone, anything past testosterone, you're going to raise your liver values because it's not a natural thing to the body. Testosterone, you generally don't raise your liver, your liver values, liver enzymes. 
um, up because your body's used to processing testosterone. It's not anything that's like abnormal to the body. So you might get a little bit of increase, but it's not going to be anything crazy. Um, but as soon as you add anything, even if it's non-oral, it's going to go up. So even taking something like DECA, like guys are like, oh, I'm just taking DECA, but I take it all the time or equipoise and I'm taking it all the time. Like your liver values are going to go up because it is not, it is not what your body's used to taking. So yeah, you'll have the, so you guys need to get tested and be healthy about it. You know, if you're going to do it, you know, um, I'm a huge fan of just like not doing those things, but you know, everyone's going to do what they're going to do in this sport. You know, that's the thing is you should be like, look at when you're, when you're looking for a, a coach as an athlete, let's be realistic and, and look at their resume, you know, do they have an education? How long have they been doing this? Who have they helped? Like, have they had any cases that have required extreme talent? Things like that. You know, um, the main thing is here's, here's how it works with every other professional sport. So let's look at like NFL sports trainers, right? I have a friend that's an NFL trainer and, um, and what it took him to get there was insane, right? This is so, this is why I want to compare it to this because what we do is we train people at the absolute highest level of fitness. It's the most elite group. The top 1% of the world get on this stage and they should have the top 1% of the trainers in the world, right? So look at the NFL. Would they let some guy who's like, oh yeah, I used to, I was in the NFL once and then now all of a sudden he's a, the, the coach of like a team or the coach of like the, the sports to like training department? Yeah. No way. Yeah. This is how it works with like being a top level coach in the NFL, NBA, uh, MLB, whatever. The way it works is that, sorry, I'm getting a freaking phone call. Uh, <laughs> the way it works is that you go to school, you get a degree in um, some type of exercise science, and usually you got to get a master's degree, not even a bachelor's degree. Um, you get an exercise degree, then you start, you start working as a, a job as a high school coach, and then you'll be interning for like a, a college coach, right? College uh, sports conditioning trainer or whatever. Then once you get the, you actually get your intern, it becomes a job. Then you become a sports trainer at a college. And then you intern for hopefully for like a minor league team. And then once you get the minor league team, you become a, a trainer for the minor league team or athletic director, whatever you're going to be. Then you become an intern for a professional sports team. This all takes, each internship takes like four years or so. You can't even get a job as a co as an athletic trainer on an NFL team until you're like 35 because it takes so long to just get in the door. I had a friend who became an NFL, uh, an, an athletic trainer for the team. He's like a assistant coach. He's like third level down. It took him 13 years of interning for free, 13 years for free to get that job. And it pays like $40,000 because he's like the lowest level you can be until he gets to the top level, which will take him another probably 10 years and some guy retiring or maybe even 15. Then he'll finally make great money and be like the elite level, right? But then you look at contest prep coach, just like, what's the, what's the requirement? Oh, I did a show now offering training programs on each <laughs> oh my God. Bucks a week. And it's like, yeah, that's why they're 25 bucks a week or hundred bucks a month. You know, it's like, yeah. it's crazy. And this is, these are the people we're trusting with our bodies, like long-term because it's not just 16 weeks you're trusting this person with your body. And that's what people think. Oh, I'll use this guy. Cause whatever, he's cost effective and he did a show or whatever. It's not, it is forever. When you go through these extreme adaptions, right? You're super calorie adapted. Your cardio settings get up to two hours. Your hormones are all fucked up because your coach put you on too many steroids or whatever. And like you get off of a show and now you're like, oh, I'm done with the show. And you see these girls blow up. They were never fat to begin with ever in their life, right? They do a show. Now they're 30 pounds overweight, right? Because one is they, they you know, eating, eating, they, they can't control their eating as well. That's not the main reason though, but they can't control their eating as well because their coach starved them for 16 weeks and everything looks better than it should, right? So it's like the coaches will be like, oh, well, they can't control their eating. Well, yeah, they can't control their eating because you starved them for 16 weeks. 
and the body doesn't know what's going on. And so, you know, your, your leptin and ghrelin is like all over the place telling you you're hungry, you're not full, whatever, right? And so it's hormonal too. It's not just mental and psychological. And so it's, and it's the coach's fault, you know? Uh, so, yeah, I just actually, I just made a post. Like I, I actually, it really disheartens me because um, when people don't like start out their prep far enough, because um, everybody starts to like say in the off season, one of our mentors like really explained this hardcore to me, like you're going to win the show essentially because you're not like just going to start doing a bunch of cardio and like extreme dieting 12, eight weeks out or 12 weeks out. And then like anybody can do that and start pushing then. Right. Um, but it really disheartens me when maybe I have athletes that are like, you know, 30 weeks out and we kind of start getting into a set point of like, okay, you need to be here by this time frame and like setting those time goals. Um, so we can like not destroy your body, like hormonally going into prep or whatever. Um, and it really disturbs me when they're like, oh, I have enough time. I'm not going to worry about it. And then maybe they're just like things go up and then they change. Uh, they go off of coaching for like a month and then they'll go find another coach. And I know that that coach is going to like destroy them now because they're 12 weeks out. And now they got to make their end goal happen because anything's going to happen. You know what I mean? And I'm telling, telling my, my friends and my other coaches, I'm like, man, it sucks because she was a, such a you know, good looking girl prior to prep. And now she prepped, looked exactly how she wanted and now it's going to be terrible, you know, like it's just going you know, to blow up because there's no reverse dieting strategy, no recovery diary strategy. It's just like, finally that's done. Now I can eat and like not have to do cardio anymore. I'm like, no. It's like a full-time job for these people. And I don't understand how these coaches are like expecting this of athletes. Like how do you have someone do two hours of cardio and then on top of that, an hour working out on top of that. So three hours a day for, you know, some of these girls, it's like 10 weeks out, they're doing it. I'm like, that's, for, for that long I mean, to, to do that stuff for that long you know um i mean it's, it's like i'm still seeing like 60 percent, 70 percent of competitors doing at least split sessions of cardio one fasted in the morning which has no scientific proof that it's ever been beneficial in any capacity by three different studies one done by alan aragon who's like a godfather in nutrition yeah. and 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 these coaches like the, all the information's out there for the athletes that hey this stuff doesn't make sense like why are you not looking it up why are you not listening to the people who are successful you know like um it's just it drives me crazy man i mean like i don't how do you expect these people to do that with their lives and then so you take something that they love and you turn it into something that they hate and now they're just trying to find balance yeah. when they never needed to find balance before and now you see all this like self-love stuff like post show yeah <laughs> yeah the thing the bad yeah like no i'm like it never needed to be like that in the first place so why why is it you know I mean, like, look at, look at the resume of like real coaches and what they have, you know, I have, I have 31 team championships, right. Which is the most in the history of my, of, of Colorado. Like we've broken almost every Colorado record. Um, and we have over a 94% top five placing rate over the last eight years. Right. We have over almost 200 athletes a year on stage, um, in this area. We still maintain a 94% top five placing rate. We had 33 overalls last year and there's only like nine shows out here. We kill it, right? No one has ever done more than 45 minutes of cardio in our entire team. And then people are, the coaches are like, oh, well, yeah, he gets a couple of athletes that don't need to do cardio. He talks about it. I'm like, no, every single athlete, every single one, because we're all essentially very similar. <laughs> Not one person needs two hours and one person needs 30 minutes. No, everyone, if you do it right, you don't mess them up in the beginning of prep, can get away with that. They just have to be set up the right way. Mm -hmm. But they set them up too extreme, you know? So it's, it's uh, it's. I just hope eventually it changes and this becomes fun for people again. Yeah. Because it should be, it should be hard. It should be super hard, but it should be fun. You know, it shouldn't be like dreading to go to the gym and like 
yeah. ruining relationships because you're only at the gym the whole time. You know, how many times have you heard of like a girlfriend and boyfriend breaking up through a contest prep? Right. Oh, wow, every time. <laughs> All the time. Right. All the time. Like it's, it shouldn't be like that. It should be something you enjoy. You know, it should be something that you look forward to. And I know you're going to Japan, I believe. Yeah. On the 14th, I'll be in Japan. Japan doing some posing sessions. He's like doing magazine stuff. I mean, this guy's like everywhere. And I, I, I really respect a lot that he's like trying to grow the community in a positive aspect and like respect rather than just like a moneymaker deal. Um, and of course, if he's <laughs> spending $750,000 on a, on a facility machine equipment, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't, I don't, it's crazy. People are like, what are you going to charge for memberships? I'm like, what do you mean? There's no memberships. I'm like, just come in. They're like, that's the worst business model ever. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, it really, it really shows your true colors. And like, like you said, um, you're in it to not get like maybe, it was many pro cards or like, you know, winning all this stuff, but like to be the most respected person, you know, yeah. I've never been, yeah, I've never been a pro card chaser, you know, that's never really my thing. It's, it's about like, you know, um, because people, you have to sit down with your athletes you know, you got to sit down with them and say, Hey, what is it that you want to do this for? Is it, is a pro card make the most sense for you to do that? If you're trying to be like an Instagram influencer and have a career in a different path, then like you should talk, that should be something in the discussion with your coach where you figure out, cause your coach shouldn't just be your coach. He should be your mentor and like, you're almost like your manager and guide you in what's going to be the best avenue for you to be successful in this. And if you're putting in the hard work and you're putting in the hours in the gym, um, like you, you should have something, something with this where there's a goal of you to like either be the best in the world. And then that's going to be, go get a pro card. Or if you want to monetize it, you should figure out what the best option is for you. And your coach should be honest with you and say, Hey, you know what? Genetically, your structure doesn't line up with you being the best in the world let's do this and let's have you be an influencer and monetize it through whatever, or let's do a different like look, you know? So there's this, it's just something that you need to like talk with and someone needs to be real with them. And um, you know, it's never been for me. You see these like these teams that have like a thousand plus athletes and they'll, they'll have like every bikini pro or whatever on the team. Like, how are you giving them that attention? That's why I don't take on everyone. You know, I've had 33 bikini pros reach out to me um, this year trying to have me take them on. And I am like literally somewhere like, repeatedly sending me resumes and stuff like, Hey, I think we'd be great. And then I was like, you just don't, it's just not for me, you know? So I took on like six, that's it. So, and everyone else is like dying for pros. Right. And I'm just like, no, it's like, I'm going to spend a lot of time with you. I'm going to spend a lot of, invest a lot of my own efforts into it. And it's just, I don't see it. You know, I don't see it with, with you. I don't want, or, or it's like, there's very stuck on a diet. It has to be my way or the highway. Like if I don't want any input on your diet, that's the, I didn't, I, you know, I'm not, <laughs> Uh, you know these guys these coaches are crazy i'm like i'm not a radio dj i don't take requests it's my way <laughs> i don't know better than you after 20 years i'm doing something wrong i don't want to hear about it so <laughs> that's just the reality of it for sure like a couple things because i know that you're kind of known for um the, like the proportioning and, and the conditioning and, and different things with your athletes um and you actually do a lot of like abdominal uh training and Stuff like that for your waist, you know what I mean? Like a lot of people don't think about that. Like, they're like, oh, obviously, like beginners are like, I'm gonna do more crunches to get abs. I'm like, bro, like, hold on a second. Like, yeah, the it's like it's not, that's not what you need to be doing. And so, essentially, um, actually uh, training your waist, you can actually, you know, train your, you know, rectus abdominis, like all the stuff to like tighten it up for your actual waist size. What's gonna give you that proportion? Of what you're looking for obviously in men's physique or bodybuilding or whatever like that right yeah so um this is definitely what something i would consider one of my specialties um 
the girls on my team call me the waste wizard, which is, which is pretty awesome. I love it, dude. I want that. I want that. That's pretty fucking cool. Um, so, but so there's a lot of different ways of attack a body, right? How do you get the shoulders? How do you get the shoulders wider? Right? Very simple answer. Usually you get the shoulders wider by adding more size to the shoulders, right? No, you get the shoulders wider and more V tapered frame by shrinking the waistline and the shoulders looking wider, right? It's not about how wide the shoulders are. It's about the ratios that the shoulders are creating based on the waistline. If you got a, if you got a waistline that's equal to your shoulders, well, then you don't have a very good physique. But if you bring your waistline in and it makes you, that's what makes you look crazy. That's what makes you look like you have that X frame. So um, with the classes that I do are more artistic than anything else. And that's why I appreciate them so much. Um, I actually went to school for photography for two years on top of my, my degree in sports management um, and wellness and fitness is because I wanted to see differently. I wanted to see the body differently. I wanted to see um, lines better than I've seen before. I wanted to be, and I know that art was part of it, you know, and that's really what this is. So when you look at a structure, most coaches would be like, oh, she needs more shoulders. I'm like, well, she needs more shoulders, but why does she need more shoulders, right? Like, is it because her waistline is too thick and it looks like she needs more shoulders? So the reality is like, and that's why bikini is so hard is that it takes a very artistic eye to decide when is it right to add more muscle? When is enough muscles when it's too much muscle where she outsizes the class where it's not a bikini class anymore. Right. And that's a, that's a lot of it to do with like the drug thing too, is that all these girls doing Anavar and all these things are looking so hard on stage. You might have the muscle that looks good, but your muscle might not look good because it's too grainy and too, too hard. And that's why I'm not a big pusher for those things on, on bikini girls, especially because it looks, the muscle looks different than if it was earned naturally because it's more separated. It's more dense. It looks more grainy and that doesn't look good in a bikini competitor. So like a lot of the girls who are my top, like top level pros and whatnot, um, they have the, the separation, they have the, they have everything they need, but they don't look grainy. And that's why they do better on that pro stage. Cause they're not getting that, that overly dieted, overly like hard grainy look which doesn't do good in bikini you know yeah. and so you know if i can i want all the girls to not be on anything if possible or very very minimal and that's why i'm like anti on that stuff for the most part you know and all these girls are like oh i need it i need it i'm like you need it have you ever tried not doing it what would you look like if you didn't do it you know and that's what and that's the reason why ashley does so well too because she's tight but she's not grainy you know and if i gave her a bunch of anavar winstrol and all that stuff she would be grainy and she would place way lower but we earn it you know, the, the natural way. And she looks still tight without looking grainy. So anyway, beyond that, the waist part of it is I can get people better by getting their waist smaller by doing four different things. One is, um, one is going to be specific waist training exercises through like vacuums and things like that, which I have videos up of, of, of and I'm not secretive about that. The other one is, um, wearing a weight belt when they work out and not doing, uh, not, not pushing through your obliques when you're doing lifts, right? Which is usually what you do with the weights belt, but just keeping it tight. So there's what's called the Vassal maneuver, Vassal for like power lifters when they breathe out and keep it really tight with the weight belt to, to get more strength of the lower back or more, more support of the lower back. You don't do that when you wear a weight belt, when you're doing it for waist training. You just wear it all the time to keep your waistline tight as possible to minimize your oblique walls and how much you're using them and breathe through your three, three through like diaphragmatic breathing more so than anything when exercising. Oh, and, then, and then the other one is um, wearing an actual waist trainer. Now, here's a very, this is a very like, if I guess taboo or whatever topic, because people are like, oh, it's unhealthy for you. And I'm like, well, no one knows if it's unhealthy for you or not, because no one, there's no studies done on that stuff. So yeah. one, you're going to say that you better have some evidence to back it up because I'm going to call you out on it because I don't know if it's unhealthy for you or not. I can't tell you the truth of that. You know, who knows? I mean, like 
in pure logic, you know, intuitively we'd be like, yeah, probably not. <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> Pushing your organs into a tighter compartment is probably not the best thing for you, but who knows? Maybe, maybe it doesn't affect it at all. I don't know. So I just know it's been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. But, um, so here's the thing. When you wear things like, uh, those waist trainers they have that just have like a bunch of hooks on them and things, there's like a bunch of different brands now that wear them. If you're getting into a waist trainer that doesn't tighten at all, then you're not really training your waist because it's already loose enough to get on you without doing anything. Right. Mm -hmm. So all these people are wasting their money on these like standard waist trainers that are like, uh, I guess more like, I don't know. They're just, they're just yeah. kind of tight, you know? Um, the ones that I use, I actually had some specifically made for bikini athletes, which are smaller. Um, cause a lot of the waist trainers are too long and they kind of the ribs stop them from doing what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So they're smaller. They sit in between the, the cavity between the iliac crest and the lowest rib, rib, uh, mm -hmm. And they basically, you put them on and then you tighten them with like this, there's like a string and you tighten them. It's like a corset and then you tighten the shit out of it. And then you like, it really shrinks, keeps your waistline tight. It's uncomfortable, but Hey, this is, uh, yeah. <laughs> Imagine. Cause yeah, I'll, I'll like use waist trainer stuff and I'll usually use waist trainers. Um, like during prep, even though I shit in the off season too, but, uh, during prep, uh, with uh, like, like a topical, you know, fat burner or something like that, like something with some sort of, uh, you know, him buying it or topical this or that and the other thing, which I don't know if you believe in all that stuff, but I've just tried some different things and I like Basil burner. There's like, uh, uh, what is the other one called? It's a red bottle. Amelie. Yeah. 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 That one. Um, but, uh, that's what I'll use for it activates a lot more obviously, but I do agree. Um, and I actually didn't really think about it because how I do like a training split and stuff like that, I've done some sort of variations of, um, hypertrophy, with a little bit of strength mixed in there, or a lower, you know, lower rep range, a higher load. Um, and obviously I'll do that, whatever maneuver, like the powerlifting stuff where you'll, you'll suck in as much breath as you can, even through your stomach and then blow, or not blow out, but hold your breath and push against the, the belts to like kind of stabilize your, uh, your core a little more and stuff like that. But you're essentially saying from a, from a bodybuilding standpoint and a waist training standpoint to try and avoid that, correct? Exactly, yeah. So these are, actually have one. This is kind of what we use. Oh, shit. Oh, they're like the ninja shit. <laughs> yeah, we don't mess around, bro. Like, so we will put them on and then you tighten them. And then you, like, it really, really helps. So these are, these are one of the, these are honestly one of the tools that's like really worked great for our athletes to like get their waistline smaller. And so that, and then the last thing is the proper diet. You know, people don't understand that. And that's another thing for like all the haters out there that are hating on these bodybuilders and they're, they're like, oh, the roid gut these days. Like, gosh, how much do you hear about the roid gut these days and people just talking smack on bodybuilders? It's like, I mean, it's like on everything, you know? Um, it sucks how much, how often it is. You hear like uh, like popular YouTube channels and that's like all they talk about, like mixed strength and power, like talk so much about roid guts and stuff. Yeah, some of that might be in, from steroids. Yeah, some of it might be, a little bit might be from that. But you got to remember, bodybuilders have never been as big as they are now. They've never been this big. You know, look at Ramy. He's on stage at 300 pounds, be it a soft yeah, 300 pounds. Yeah, he's just like, what the fuck? Yeah, he, uh, they, they're, I don't know what they were doing over that camp, just getting him bigger and bigger. He's an eating bigger. But, but the point is, like, he's eating so much food to get that big that, of course, his waistline is going to be bigger. Of course, he's going to have a larger gut. Try eating 8,000 calories a day for a year and see what your gut looks like. You know, so let's, let's not forget that and just, you know, let's give bodybuilders the proper praise they deserve. I mean, be it, bodybuilders are high risk takers you know but they're doing it because they love the game like they'll do anything to do this they they also asked like people are like oh well, that's crazy that they're going to take steroids and they're going to do this to their bodies whatever to get that way we got to remember too they've also everyone respects like olympian athletes not like mr olympia athletes, but olympian athletes right 
Yeah. In the 90s, the Olympians were asked a question. They were asked, if it meant you die, if it meant you had to die in 10 years to win a gold medal, would you do it? Every one of them said yes. Right? So not just bodybuilders are crazy. Any sports, people who are truest and love the game are crazy about their sport. Yeah. I have a ton of respect for bodybuilders, no matter what they take, no matter what they do, because they're doing something very, very special and very, very difficult, which is intuitively like, I mean, to us, it's crazy, but it's, it's, it's counterintuitive to what the body is designed to do, which is be really, really muscular and be really, really lean at the same time. Yeah. They're defying science on the highest level. And I think it's super, super cool. So anyway, so stop talking smack on Roy Guts and stuff and like, just appreciate what they're doing. They don't care about your opinion anyway. You know, they just, they just want to be the best them they can be. And that's currently what it, what it takes. So anyway, but besides that, um, if you minimize inflammation through your foods, you'll also shrink your waistline, right? Mm -hmm. So getting, you know, getting tested for that stuff or even just eating the foods that you know are, are, are better. And that's why I'm not a huge fan of IFYM dieting because it doesn't take that into account. You're not going to get the smallest waistline possible from dieting for, by keeping your waistline minimal with the, the types of foods that you're eating. So um, those are the four ways we do go about it. So waist belt all the time during training, a waist trainer, proper uh, techniques for training the waist, like uh, um, vacuum training and things like that. And then also your food is a huge part of it. Food's, food's a huge part of it. So yeah, we do all four. And when we're trying to create world champions, yeah, of course we have to do those things, you know? Yeah, you got to do like as much as you can do to get that little edge. I was like, you're talking about earlier and people don't realize, I don't think people take that into account of, uh, oh, do you actually do this with your nutrition too? And also with the, the types of food for inflammation, the structuring of the frequency of the meals. Um, do you do anything with that as well? Or the volume of the meal that you're eating? So um, that's a cool question because I can go like we I think me and you are like kind of the same. We kind of nerd out on stuff and we're like, oh, dude, I swear to you, yeah, I'm such a nerd of this shit. I was used to be a mechanical engineer, so okay. <laughs> I think at a certain point I'm like, fuck your listeners. Let's just talk, right? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like uh, with with um, with like food volume and frequency. Here's another cool thing. So there was two studies done that I can remember. Um, Two studies done that I can reference, but I can't, uh, I know there, I think there was more studies done. Basically on total like frequency of meals and um, like results associated with those meals, right? So they did one study where it was three, six, and 14 meals. All were in the same caloric deficit of 30% uh, with an RMR test of like a core metabolic testing machine, right? Indirect calorimeter, they call it. Um, so what happened was you would, you would think intuitively that the person who ate 14 meals got the best results because of the uh i even forget the term that they used to use which was called the thermogenic effect of food was it like things called thermogenic effect of food right is that the right especially the protein yeah or whatever so um they, they thought the more frequently you ate the faster metabolism was right but what they found was that the people who ate three meals um out of that study got very similar results as the person who ate 14. it was like a very minimal difference between the two so three six 14 meals so then they did a study again with two, four, and six meals just to test the theory. And again, the people who, got, who ate two meals got slightly better results than the person who ate six. So basically throughout the whole frequency of meal thing, even really mattering that much. Really, it's just- yeah. Well, yeah, I, mean, I would say like, I don't think it matters from like a science standpoint of like, if you have like, um, uh, how do I put it? I think that the, when I've done a lot of uh, trial and error on my own people and like athletes and stuff, um, I used to go, you know, like we'll do six to seven meals and because that's how I was taught or whatever with bodybuilding. I'm like, then I'm like, this is no, no, no. So hold on. I was like, let's do 
let's do four to six meals and see between this and that. And I usually work out depending on honestly, like somebody has like certain inflammation issues or like a body type kind of thing or like your metabolism or insulin sensitivity, all that kind of stuff. I'd see that like around five meals, but sometimes breaking up a little more for the insulin response, but also maybe a little less um, for like adherence purposes, right? Like adherence, though people don't think about that, but like obviously if you're like ghrelin and leptin, all this kind of stuff is like triggering certain ways throughout the day and your schedule's this way. But um, say if you're a person that is like thinking about, like obviously competitors, I feel like start just thinking about where their next meal is. <laughs> like it's yeah. just how it is. Like they're only around food. But if you can kind of like create a situation to like, make it more adherent for them and stuff like that. I think that the volume and that the frequency of that meal is not directly resulting from just like, you know, certain spikes in leucine or protein synthesis or like certain things to optimize the results, but like actually just from the adherence part of things. You know what yeah. I mean? I think adherence is usually, honestly should be the number one thing because they, they say um, the best diet is one you'll stick to, right? So I think that that's the most important thing. Um, for it so if, if like i have nurses and whatnot too that work 12-hour shifts and like they don't know when they're going to eat so that's a perfect like example of a um of a study to reference to someone who can't eat that frequently you know so it really just comes down to it. i prefer like six meals myself um and you know I'll, I'll eat kind of intuitively at this point like four to six meals and i'll just eat bigger meals if i only eat four and, and the same for my crew if they want to eat four meals only then they can eat four meals only they'll just combine i'll give them a six meal meal plan and they can combine two of those meals anytime they want and some days they'll eat six and some days they'll eat four or whatever. It just, it's fine. So it just, I think it's important for athletes to know you don't need to eat every two hours um, because there's studies that prove that it doesn't matter. So mm -hmm. from maybe like a physiological standpoint, do you feel like maybe from like a, like a waste training standpoint though, do you feel like a really high volume food, like they're only eating two to three meals a day, maybe like they're intermittent fasting or whatever, you know, and then like at the end of the day, they have majority of their volume. Do you feel like that takes a toll on your stretching out your stomach? Um, so I guess the question would be, so that, that the question is a little farther than that question, right? The question is rate of digestibility for rate of digestion for people. And like at what point, so there is a, there is an answer there. And that answer is what's the frequency of meals versus my digestion rate versus food volume left in the what stomach. Sense, right. So everyone's going to have their own on that because it's a more technical question than, than, than that. So um, at what point does it leave to make sense to fill it up to take up the same amount of space, right? The minimal space throughout the day? That's a good question and is uh, that, would, that would require some testing. I don't know the answer to that, to be honest. It's like you're wanting to test it now. <laughs> yeah, right? So it's like, huh, maybe I should try that out. So, but uh, yeah, I don't know. You know. Definitely, if there's no difference in, if there's no difference in the result of body fat loss but what about the actual like stretching of the stomach and, and i mean yeah. that would really and you can like, do like a couple different things and like find the delta of like different volumes of food at different frequencies and then like that'd be um, pretty hard to do yeah. but i mean if you're training world level athletes it's not something to not consider exactly so, so um but yeah but so food, I, so food, I know sorry man that's not good stuff but people don't think about that like obviously these high level athletes if they're listening too they're gonna start thinking like yeah you gotta yeah, be talk to you like, hey man, can yeah. you do this for me? <laughs> I'm gonna go test some shit now. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, yeah. So, so that's kind of like with like the waist training stuff. Obviously, you laid out those four things. Um, another question, kind of like the let's see, the last question that we had was more of like you talked before about these coaches um, uh, destroying people, two hours of cardio, really low calories and stuff like that, and 
usually those people don't have any sort of after show like plan you know like after their show they don't have a plan to like do anything they just go straight back to whatever they're doing but with your progressions of what you're talking about not having to do that kind of stuff doing it correctly um but doing it correctly doesn't mean just that 12 16 20 24 week prep or whatever you use for a going into prep year-long prep or whatever it is um it's also afterwards and so i know there's actually a lot now especially like in the natural community with like our Nunes and like, you know, Eric Helms and like that side, they really talk a lot about the recovery diet rather than the reverse diet. But I see that there's pros and cons to like, not cons, but like pros to both. And how would you say you would go about reverse dieting in terms of like adding calories back in and reducing maybe cardio or volume in your lifting? Yeah. So this is, I like this question. Cause this, you know why I like this question? Because I love questions that are that are correct and they're not correct answers by me but they're correct by science and they put a lot of these ignorant coaches ex and expose them i love i love that's why i like this question i'm all about that so uh, and again i tell you i'm not i'm not here to be the most liked trainer by trainers <laughs> anything i want those trainers to hate me i want them to be god oh, adam expose me again now i gotta go learn some shit and i'm like yeah you know what you do gotta go learn some shit because you're hurt <laughs> It's irresponsible of you to call yourself a coach if you don't know, at least try to know everything. So, um, you know, so as far as reverse diets go, and I'm glad you brought up Eric Helms because I, I really respect that guy. Um, as far as reverse diets go, I hate the term reverse diet because it implies that you're going to slowly introduce calories back in. Now, you need to take something into consideration when you're doing these, these diets, right? When you're doing these. So, one, uh, this is very technical, so I'm going to be as fast as I can, but there's this thing called adaptive thermogenesis, which is essentially the rate at which your body adapts to the calories that you're given. So if you start off with a prep, easy numbers, you start off with a prep and you burn 2,000 calories and you finish off, you finish off burning 1,500 calories and your body's slower now because you've been starving it for 16 weeks or whatever. And now it's, it's burning 25% less calories, so now you're burning 1,500 calories. That is basically adaptive thermogenesis and your body finding a way to slow down to survive. It doesn't do this just through... Um, you know, slowing down metabolism, it does it through like hormone production and T3 to T4 thyroid hormone conversion, um, uh, you know, decreasing your total need. So your non-exercise activity induced thermogenesis, like actually moving less and things like that, things you won't recognize, it happens with that. But it's also hormonal. So um, the, here's the thing, the longer, so if you start off burning 2000, and you go to 1500 calories, and you're like, oh, I'm going to start now I'm going to start eating 1500 calories right? You're, I'm going to start eating 1500 calories. Well, don't forget about your exercise that you do throughout the day and everything that you're moving. That's just your resting metabolic rate. You might burn 2,500 calories total with exercise and all that, right? Mm -hmm. The longer you're in a diet, and it doesn't matter how low the calories are on the diet, okay? So if you're eating, let's just go off percentages now. If you're in a 30% caloric deficit for a contest prep, and then you come out of your diet and you're in a 20% caloric deficit, you're still in a caloric deficit, even though your calories are increased. So if you're, if you're still in a caloric deficit of any degree, even if it's 5%, your body is still going to adapt in a negative way by trying to survive, okay? You're going to still continually slow the metabolism. So in my opinion, and in most top exercise scientists' opinion, it is best to bring their calories right up to resting, to their resting metabolic rate calories, including their activity, um, right after a show. Because if you're at maintenance calories, people, remember, you're not going to gain weight if you're truly at maintenance calories. Yep. maintenance calories is called maintenance calories. You will maintain yeah. if you're eating maintenance calories. The maintenance calories might be lower than what you'd expect. That's what I was going to say is, is people, people think that, wait, I'm going to start eating 
2,700 calories or 2,500 calories of my maintenance or whatever for including me. No, 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 no. Your maintenance will adjust over that time of the prep, correct? Exactly, right? So, yeah, so we're going to go to the presumed, assumed, um, you know, maintenance calories after a show. Uh, and then you shouldn't get weight. And then you'll, you'll still check in and we'll change the program accordingly to make sure that you're reaching those, that you're not gaining body fat. I mean, there's a lot of different things changed throughout it too. Your hormones are different. Your insulin sensitivity is a lot different after a show. So you got to take those things into account and how you yes. design the post-show diet. But I call them post-show diets or correctional phase dieting. Um, I have all of my competitors go through a minimum four weeks, usually eight uh, of a show. It depends on how long they're prepping uh, of a correctional diet before they're, they're fully done. So I don't, you know, I don't like people just doing a show and being done. I like them going through the correctional phases so they don't blow up after a show and gain all this weight. Um, so yeah, so just remember that people like, here's a, a good thing for you to remember. Let's say I've heard of coaches doing this, which is to me, I mean, there's so many, like it's just, it doesn't make any sense and it's unethical, but I'll have, I see coaches that have said, I had a girl the other day, she did a prep for 20 weeks and the coach said, just do your diet the way I gave it to you, but do it in reverse. That's your post-show diet. Mike, so you just took a person who did a 20-week diet and you put them in a caloric deficit for now 40 weeks versus 20. You know how adapted she's going to be at 41 when she gets done with that? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's crazy. So, like, people will start slowly introducing calories. They're at 16 weeks, and then they do a show, and then at 17 weeks, they raise it by 100, 150. You're still in a caloric deficit. You're still adapting. Now you just took your 16-week prep to 17. And if you do it again the next week, now it's 18. So you're on now. You're finally done with your reverse diet. You're at 24, 28 weeks of dieting, more than half a year. How do you expect to make any gains, any progress? You're not going to build any muscle while you're in a caloric deficit, and your body's going to be more highly adapted. And then you're going to call up out in Bonilla after you're all fucked up and then have me deal with it, and now you're wondering why your results aren't as good as they should be. Right? Well, you've been dieting for a year, even though you don't think you have. So, like, it's a, it sucks, man. And it's like we're constantly fighting these ignorant contest prep coaches who are, like, you know, shouldn't be prepping. And um, it's just, it's just, like, I just hope it changes, you know. I hope – that people listen to things like this, the information's out there. And I just hope they listen and they start doing what's right by their bodies and what's going to set them up for long-term success and start enjoying the sport again. You know, we've had a decline in contest prep because, uh, well, one, because like Instagram and people are getting likes off Instagram now for the validation versus before it was just a show and pictures. Um, but two, because it's not fun to contest prep because of the way these coaches are setting people up and they're hurting our industry and they're hurting people. And it's not, it's not right. You know, I want, I want them to learn more. I would love if the coaches saw this, got mad and then said, okay, well, if I want to compete with these guys that are on top, like I want, I'm going to start learning more. So I can't like, that should be your goal yeah. as a coach to know more than every coach. Like we should be competing. Like I should be competing against you with my brain and you should be competing against me with your brain. And you're like, no bitch, I'm going to be smarter than you. Yeah. And I'm like, no, you won't Austin. I'm older than you. I'm always going to be smarter than you. It makes, like, it makes the whole industry better because everybody's getting smarter. Yeah, exactly. That's what it should be about. It shouldn't be about oh, me branding my name on some athlete and having a million dollar training business with a thousand athletes that I don't pay any attention to, you know? So it, it should be, you know, we, we got to take a step back and look at how we're doing things, what, what it took to get us started and what we're really dealing with, which is we're taking people's dreams. We're, we're bringing them, them to fruition. And then after that, we're like, a lot of the coaches are just saying bye, you know? And now they had this dream body they look better than they ever looked. You didn't, you didn't do anything for them in the off season. And now they're depressed because they're gaining weight and they have no control over it because you ruined them, you know, and that sucks. So anyway, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> no, I agree. <laughs> and, and people don't think that it's like, not very many people think about that. And like, or they'll have like athletes 
that um, they're like, it's like maybe it's a money deal or something like that. And like, oh, I can just do my own off season. I, I know I can just figure out, I'll just bring my calories, this and that and other thing. It's like, hold on a second. You know, I think that it's probably, I know that it's harder to hold yourself accountable the first four to eight weeks after a show than it was to hold yourself accountable during the prep, honestly, in my opinion. Yeah, but, what, but for, for like someone who really cares about their physique and is really trying to push the limits, what's an off season? You know what I mean? There's no such yeah, thing. True. Yeah, true. It's like always if you yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Getting ready for a show or you're getting ready for a show. Like there's no difference. Like you're either getting ready for a show because you're dieting or you're getting ready for a show because you're building your body in a specific way. Either yes. you're sculpting or you're whatever. There's no such thing as off season. Like unless you're like a transformation person entering a weight loss contest, yeah. like that's not what we're doing here. We're taking your physique to the next level. So I think the verbiage on reverse dieting, the verbiage on off season, like all needs to change, you know, and, and for that reason, because what we're going to get is we're going to get people who do a show and then they do their own off season on their own and they never got past 1500 calories in, the, in their off season and they come back and they're like, yeah, I want to do a show. And I'm like, okay, where are your calories at now? They're like, Oh, 1500 calories. Well, how long have they been there? Oh, a year and a half. Okay, cool. How do you expect us to create any type of caloric deficit when your body's adapted to 1500 calories? Like Jeez. just start off at 1200 and just see what happens. Like, yeah. you know, they're like, okay, let's just start you up. I'll get you in shape. Let's give you clenbuterol. Let's give you this. Let's give you that. Let's do 1,200 calories and two hours of cardio, and you'll take what you love, and you'll hate it now, and then you're going to gain 50 pounds when you're done, and you're going to – but I'm going to post you up on Instagram when you're at your <laughs> – I'm going to ignore you when you're at your worst. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah I, I definitely agree with you. It's just like in any other sport. Like, we kind of reference back to, like, NFL. It's like those guys – it's not like a – NFL athletes or NBA, it's, there's no off-season, really. It's, it's on-season, but yeah. they're – different blocks and periodization of like what you're going through because that's what you want to ultimately be competitive in. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like this, it's just like, it's like this as a coach, like a coach, like at this point, you know, it would take a lot for me to not get a phone call about clients. Right. You know, I get a bunch of them every week so I can just sit back and take the phone calls. You know, I don't need to continue my education at this point, but, but if I want to stay competitive and I want to stay good at what I do and I want to be the best, which is what I truly want to do, I better be studying and seeing more research stuff and getting the stuff that's harder to read that people don't really even have, you know, that they don't really see. If I want to be able to be competitive with a guy like you, who's, who's younger, who's like really, really hungry to have my job, you know, like I hope Austin, I hope one day that you take my job. I really do. I hope that you, I see you at the top level and you have a huge team and you're super successful and you push me down a rank because I'm not going to make that easy on you. You know, I'm not going to make that easy on any single coach out there. And I'm going to make it harder for the guys that are being lazy up top. And I'm going to try to push them down a rank. And, um, but if someone, if someone pushes me down, well, hats off to them because they earned that shit. Cause I did not make that easy. So, yeah. so, but I, I hope they all do. And I hope these coaches that are, that would talks like this, that are get exposed and they get pushed out of the market completely, or they decide to go to school and get an education and stop hurting people. So that's, that's my goal. So, yeah. No, I, I, I do, and I'm, I'm going to thank you for that motivation because I do definitely um, – I definitely am hungry, and I'm definitely, like, looking at everything you accomplished and, like, what it takes to get to that level. And it's, like, super eye-opening. Not like I can't accomplish it because I'm, like I, – in my head, I can do anything I want, but it's just, like, the steps, right? Like, kind of, like, the process of how to get up to that level uh, correctly rather than through, mar- like, you know, marketing and, like, just all that kind of bullshit stuff, you know? Fake stuff. But – uh. But yeah, no, I'll, I'll take you up on that. We'll, we'll talk in like, I don't know, 10 years or whatever. <laughs> You're like, what are you, like 35? 36, yeah, 36. 36? Oh, yeah. Did you just have a birthday? No, that was in oh, May. Oh, okay, yeah, because yeah. I'm only 22. I said, I said I'll retire at 100 team championships 
which I don't think anyone would ever beat that record. And then I said, I'll, I said, I'll retire at 100 and I'll give it to Tori. Tori works with me. She's like the assistant coach on the team. So we'll see. It'll probably, when I get to like 99, I'm probably going to be like, no, Tori, you'll get it at 200. We'll see. But, but yeah, so I'll, I'll take it up on that. But like, uh, but I, I really appreciate like actually having somebody on here that um, is not only giving knowledge and like actually like real practical stuff, but somebody that it's not just about their brand, like as in, you know, making like a 2000 person team, because you know, we've talked about a little bit too, is like, you can't, how are you supposed to do check-ins with all the people throughout the week? Like there's just not possible way. There's not a time in the day, especially, I mean, it just doesn't make sense, you know? So it's like, obviously there's people working and doing certain things that have, there's not like connection with the actual coach there. Maybe they do have a team and that's just like the front person, like for the sales or marketing or whatever, but at the same time, um, it's just like a business model kind of. Yeah, you see those coaches, those teams that have like, that have that. And it's just like, they have a bunch of coaches and all their coaches do prep and they all have like 30, 40 clients each. And I'm like, why, how, what have they, what do those coaches have in their background that makes them like able to take on your volume? Like, mm-hmm. like, are you just hiring anyone at this point? Because you have, you have more clients coming in. Yeah. yeah. Like, so like, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's me, Tori Taylor, and they help with, with like the programming and whatnot too. Um, Tori's got her degree in dietetics. She actually did a registered dietitian internship. Um, and then she became, she came over to like helping with the contest prep. And then she does the whole weight loss division on her own. Um, I do all the contest prep stuff. And then Taylor has a degree in exercise science with a minor in nutrition. And it's like, they're really high level people. And like, I still oversee every single plant. So like it's, uh, and we're all in the office and you see people who do things that are like online and their, their coaches are everywhere, no connection. I'm like, how are you monitoring each client that comes in, you're not, that's the answer to that you're just making money. And so for us, it's, you know, it's not about that. We're not a big team. We're never going to be a huge team because we, we just can't be a big, huge team with the way we do things because it's not efficient. <laughs> like the, the way we do plans is it just takes too long. Like we'll have 15 check-ins today. It'll take us eight hours to get through it with three people. It's just not, yeah. it just does, it's not efficient. You know, it's just too. Yeah. Well, it's just about optimizing their result, like what they're doing, obviously. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we have, there's a reason we have a 94% top five placing rate with, over seven years with like over 200 people doing it per year. Like find one of the big teams, like that's even close to our level, even getting like an 80% placing rate. There's no way we smoke them all, you know, it's, and that's just the truth of the matter, you know, and you know, we win like almost every overall out here. It's um, you know, we're the most winning team in the history of, of Colorado. So I, I take a lot of pride in that, even though we don't make the most money, you know, um, you know, that I wish us two went together, but they don't. <laughs> so it's either you kind of make the choice, like be the biggest and make the most money and be a businessman or be the best and produce the best results and do okay. And that's, that's kind of what I've chosen to do. So, um, you know, I'm not really, I guess the future for us is just trying to be the best through a different means besides volume, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, no, like I said, I think that'll like in the long term game of what you're playing will play out sooner rather than later um honestly especially like you told me you're getting on more even my podcast i mean obviously it's not a scale or whatever these other ones that you're getting on but um getting on more more faces like more people seeing you and stuff like that like you said you're making yourself your name like bigger and stuff like obviously you got colorado on lockdown <laughs> like for sure but like you know going up and maybe because where i'm from is like the northwest region um you know you're from california maybe like the southern region kind of um, you probably have that clients coming in from there. And then you said a little bit like in the, like in Florida, I'm guessing you probably have higher level athletes. 
Yeah, yeah, we have. So we do online prep coaching for everyone around the world, you know, and um, you know we have people in different countries and whatnot too that do all their stuff online that I don't see. So we have a really good system for the online check-in. Um, you know, the only thing you just can't do is if you're if you're online only. If you have a problem, we either fly you in um, if there's a problem, but it's not super common where we actually need to do that for someone. It's just usually when there's like an issue, you know. So like 90% of you don't need to go through that. It's just the other 10% that do. But um, for the most part, yeah, we're we're kind of all over. I got decent amount of people. We have like. Eh, like we have like five people in Canada and probably like the same in Florida and in, and in uh, California and out here we got a decent amount, but nothing crazy. I mean, we're, we're not a, you know, 500 people team. We're like, you know, we're, we're always going to be less than a hundred people and it's just the, the qualities there. So, um, yeah. yeah. Well, awesome. Well, yeah. So I'll kind of, I'll wrap this up then. And, um, like I said before, like, thank you so much for your time. Like, uh, that was, that was a lot and a lot, a lot of things because you're actually spitting from a scientific, like real shit, not just like, oh, this worked. My mentor, like my, the guy who coached me did this and this worked for this guy. And like, no, 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 no. This is like actually like really researched and really uh, brought to attention through that rather than just like old school, like bro science kind of stuff. You know what I mean? I think it's important to like never think that you're good enough to not learn more and be willing to change things at a drop of a hat. Like I think, Tori, we've been together like four years, and um, I don't know how many different structures of dieting we've been through throughout that time. It's probably like like we're a new research study came. I'm like, hey, Tori, we're changing everything. Like, because something new is better, right? And it's kind of, and if you're not willing to do that, like, you're gonna get passed up. I mean, there's a reason that I climb past other guys because they're doing the same shit, you know. So yeah. like, I think it's important, um, and it's not just for tr coaches passing coaches, which. I'm super competitive and I love the coaches passing coaches part, but athletes passing athletes, like they deserve that coach doing the research to get them to go past other people too. So yeah, be willing to drop your new, everything that you've learned because something else came out better at the drop of a hat. You got to be open to that stuff if you want to get better in this industry. Yeah, no, I agree hundred percent. And there's like always obviously like different fad stuff in the marketing system, but like actually in the clinical research side of things is what he's talking about of like new stuff coming out that is better because of this, that, and the other thing or whatever. But uh, that's crazy how many times you've changed it. And it's cool, like, cause you have to like learn how to adapt to, to be better, obviously. And that's what most people like, just want to stick with their same methodology. And I, you don't even know how many coaches I've seen said the same exact goddamn diet to like fucking like 10 different people. I'm like, what? So, um, but not even like just the strategies, like actually like the macros and calories. I'm like, dude, what? So, um, so yeah, anyways. Um, I'll put all, like I said, I'll uh, link up Adam's stuff in the description box. Um, you guys definitely should reach out to him because he's so freaking knowledgeable. And uh, I think you'll have a lot of value for you guys if you get in contact. Follow his page. Put that in there too. Um, he's just starting to grow his YouTube, I see. Kind of like getting that going and get more videos out. Yeah, um, actually, we, at our, we're at our, uh, at our contest prep center. So we have the, the contest prep center. We're actually going to have a full-time video guy there now. Yo, um, hell yeah. Hell like yeah. So we'll be probably in another month, maybe another month and a half. We'll be doing one video like every week. It'll be always something like more science based or somewhat high level prep, something like that. Yeah. So yeah. 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 yeah, I'll link that up too, because I was watching some of them already and like I, I was like the editing and the videography, all that stuff, and obviously you got amazing athletes and stuff. So definitely a good channel for like obviously him talking about science science stuff, but also like, you know, watching some of your I'm I'm guessing people's heroes, honestly. Like those some of those you know, athletes that you have on your team are like literally the role model for 
for a lot, like a lot of population. You know what I mean? Um, so that's kind of badass. So <laughs> sometimes I work though, and I'm like, dude, I can't believe I'm working with this guy. Like, fanboy of just a fanboy of you know. <laughs> but anyways, um, thank you again, Adam. I do sincerely appreciate, it, and I hope we can do this again sometime. Yeah, for sure, man. So, anyways, until next time, see you, man. Later, brother.